let's jump directly into the word and if you will join me in second kings chapter 13 that will be fantastic um, yesterday we talked quite a bit about elisha and we talked about his ministry and we talked about all the incredible things that god did in him and that god did through him by the way if it's the first time that we meet yes i do have an accent it's okay it's from the south just gonna roll with it uh i'm married to a memphian so i guess i can claim the south can i no okay i'm from argentina and the lord has been so good to us uh, but yes i do have an accent second kings chapter 13 we're gonna read just two verses in script in scripture we'll begin in verse 20. i hear pages so we'll pause is that okay second kings chapter 13 verse 20. so elisha died and they buried him now bands of the moabites used to invade the land in the spring of the year and as a man was being buried behold a murdering band was seen and the man was thrown into the grave of elisha and as soon as the man touched the bones of elisha he revived and stood on his feet and jesus we just pray that you will speak to us god this is not just another sunday and we acknowledge that god in eternity you have circled this day do you have circled this hour to encounter this house and release a word in this house we just pray that you will speak clearly and that you will do that which only you can do we trust you jesus in your name amen if i am a hundred percent transparent with you this morning and and, and i mentioned to jessica uh, the message that I'm going to preach to you is absolutely and completely 100% outside of my comfort zone. Uh, th those of you who have heard me preach a few times uh, know that I enjoy preaching. I love preaching. Please don't think that I'm not enjoying this opportunity. I am so honored. But what I sense in my spirit is that God wants to speak to you not just singularly, but plural. A word for this house. Do, do you understand the difference? Over the last 20, 25 minutes, God made sure that through a prophetic song and different messages that you heard his voice singularly. He was speaking to you. He was pointing his finger at you. And he was saying, I want to tell you something today. There is freedom in me. You heard that singularly. However, this is also for you, but it's for you. It's a corporate message. And yesterday we have been talking about the life of Elisha. And, and if you give me one or two minutes, I would love to catch you up if you couldn't be here yesterday. Because the Lord 
just took us to the place where Elisha was not seeking out to be called. He was just there. He was busy. He was doing the work of the ministry. He was doing what he was entrusted to do. And Elijah walked by and touched him. And something shifted. Something changed. He recognized that God was up to something. And he understood the price tag that was associated to saying yes to the Lord. And he was able to forsake. Forgo everything and just let go of the oxen, let go of the yoke, tore up his clothes because he understand that a season was changing and something was taking place and he wanted to be in the center of God's will for his life. So he just followed Elijah to do what? To serve, to pour out the waters, to just be there available to do whatever was asked of him because he recognized that God was moving and that God was doing something and that he was being prepared for something. I just want for you to turn to somebody and say, you have been prepared for something. You got to play along. You have been prepared for something. The last 15, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years of your life have not been by chance. They have been preparing you for something. You have been in God's school. You have, be, you have been in his university. Perhaps you're saying, but Max, I didn't stumble into church till last week. It doesn't matter. If you think that God's hand was not upon your life throughout your journey, you are not aware of how he works in you and how he works through you because he says that all things work out for good of those who were called according to his purpose. And he said that the steps of the righteous are order of the Lord. So it doesn't matter where you were last week. You're here today. And he's up to something in your life because Elijah discerned that he was being challenged to learn how to pour the water. So he was prepared and ready to be able to part the water when he was called upon it. And there is a dynamic that goes between service and power. As you serve, you're empowered to do what God has called you to do. And then he began to walk out his ministry. He understood that his environment did not determine the outcome of his life. And you saw the miracle when he healed the waters of Jericho, that he needed a new bowl because God was doing a new thing. And he was pouring out salt into water of death that turned into living water. Life-giving water. He understood that what going around you does not determine what happens inside of you and what's happening through you. And water of death became water of life. He also understood that when God is getting ready to move, there is a preparation that takes place. We went to the desert, and in the middle of the desert, we heard the word of the Lord when Elisha speaks to the kings and says, you better get ready. You're not going to hear the rain. You're not going to see the rain. But surely as you leave, the water is coming. Because he is the one that can bring out the waters to spring out in the middle of a desert place. And perhaps you feel, well, Max, have you looked all around me? Have you seen where God has planted me? Have you seen where God has planted our church? Have you seen where God has planted our family? Sometimes it does feel like a desert. Well, good news for you is the fact that God planted you exactly where he needed you and exactly where he wanted you. Because he does not send you to a place where it will be easy. He will send you to a place where you can be challenged to fulfill the purpose that God has for you. And this house is planted exactly where it needs to be to begin to spring life not only just to this neighborhood but to this region because water will flow in the desert because it pleases the Lord to do so 
You have to hear that because it's not hinging upon our capacity to produce. It's hinging upon his capacity to deliver. And he does deliver. He does not only deliver in the small things, but he's up to big things. He's up to something bigger. Where did we see that? We saw that when he walked into the life of the widow. And we talked about what God can do when you're willing to stop looking at someone else's oil, but you're willing to grab your own oil and put it in his hands and let him do something with the little bit that you have. You may be underestimating God's capacity to bring forth a revival in the oil that he has already placed in your life. But if you decide to surrender your life and surrender your oil and put it on the hands of the Lord, he will be able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than you can think or ask or imagine. According to his power, there is at work in you and through you. You surrender your oil. You begin to make room in your life, a Sunamite woman. You bring that dead dream. You lay it at the feet of Jesus and see what he can do with it. That's kind of where we stopped yesterday. We also talked about don't be too prideful to receive what God wants to do in your life. And we talked about when you lose your edge. But man, after this morning, I think you got your edge back. We're just going to leave that one to the side, save it for another day. But then we arrived to chapter 13. And yes, yesterday we stopped at chapter 6. In between chapter 6 and chapter 13, you have an absolute and complete soap opera taking place. If you uh, watch any show kind of like 24 or, or you, th there was more drama in those chapters than in just one hour of Grey's Anatomy. So just, you, you, you know it was serious business. Uh, man, Grey's Anatomy, I had to stop after Mac Dreamy died. I couldn't keep going. <laughs> I, I had to stop. Jessica has carried on. I, 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 I had to unhook my wagon and just leave it there. I, I, I died with Derek in that show. Uh, but the nation is in turmoil. Government is out of control. You're seeing how king after king after king are falling short of God's expectation. You are seeing that even some of the people that were expected to put God first, even though they did some of the things that were God was hoping that they would do, like King Jehu, they were also on the backside doing some of the wrong things and not willing to go in 100%. They were faithful with the minimum, but they were not willing to give God their all and give God their full commitment and give God their full attention. And in the middle of this drastic and in the middle of this painful time, Elijah falls ill. You can see that in verse 1, it tells us that Elijah fell ill with the illness that will be his death. And even the king, Jehoshaphat, writes and goes up to the prophet and says, My Lord, my Lord, the chariots and the riders of Israel. Because he recognizes that if Elisha is gone, there is going to be a huge vacuum in the kingdom. 
he recognizes that if that voice dwindles, there is going to be a shortage of God's presence. He recognizes that even though he had been at fault, and even though he had been flawed, and even though he had not been the leader that he could be, he recognized that the presence of Elisha in the kingdom meant that there was hope for something better, and there was a voice, and there was an ear that discerned the will of the Lord, and was able to apply it, and it was able to lead it. But his voice was about to go. And the king recognized, what are we going to do without him? The revival is about to die. The promise is about to go. The presence is about to depart. And indeed, Elisha, And he was buried. You have to pay attention to the narrative of scripture. When you're reading the word, you can't just read it without stopping and considering and weighing why the Holy Spirit allowed for some things to be told a certain way and for some things to be told a completely different way. When yesterday when we were talking about the ministry of Elijah, we recognized that there were multiple instances where the author made a point to make sure that we knew that exactly how Elijah had done it, Elijah had done it. We, uh, we talked about that, and, and, and so even the theme in the ministry of Elijah, we were able to see how detailed it was. But in the middle of all of the details, for example, knowing that it was a new bowl, knowing exactly how many kids call him bold in chapter 2, knowing every single detail of the life of Elijah, but then we come to the end of the journey, we come to the end of the story, and all we get is just one statement that says, he died and was buried. When I look at the death of Elijah, well, kind of dead. He didn't really die. He just got a heavenly Uber. <laughs> we have all the details. We have everything that happened on that day. We know that he walked to Jericho, and from Jericho he walked to Bethel, and from Bethel he walked to the Jordan. We know what he did at the Jordan. We know what happened when he crossed the Jordan. We know the dialogue. We know his last words. We know every single thing that happened up to the moment when Elijah was taken. But when Elisha died, we have nothing. We don't even have a full chapter. We have a verse and a half. So maybe... God was not as concerned about the death of Elisha because it was something that had been planted. There was something that had been started. There was something that was moving. There was a remain to the revival that had begun with the life of this leader. There was something that had been set in motion. Perhaps God was not concerned to document the funeral because he was thinking about what was next. And he was thinking about what he was going to do through the life and the ministry and investment of this man of God. If you remember, he had asked for a double portion. And if you're good at math, and you were bored one day, and you started to count, you know that by the time Elisha died, he was what? One miracle short. 
you see when he was willing to stick it out and he was under the, the tornado fire and he's looking up at the heavenly Uber, he asked for a double portion. And if you count the miracles of Elijah, you know that Elisha had done almost twice as much. But he was still one short. And he died. And many people thought that because he died, the promise will go unkept. A lot of people thought because he died, the promise will not be fulfilled. A lot of people thought that because he died, there is no more hope in Israel. A lot of people thought that because he was gone and because he died, the ministry will die. The momentum will die. The revival will not come. We'll be at the mercy of our enemies because he's no longer there. I would like for you to keep that in mind as we shift to a different aspect and a different element that takes place in this narrative. And it's the Moabites. If you pay attention to the Moabites and you know what has been happening in the dynamics of the people of Israel and the people of Moab, you know that the Moabites were not... If you think that the Philistines were the arch nemesis, you are close. But it was nothing compared to the people of Moab. Moab and Israel were at odds. And the Moabites were the people that time after time after time after time, they're like the never-ending just enemies. I don't know if you ever read comic books, but you have a superhero that, that is fighting with someone and this person dies. And then at the next movie, somehow they come back to life and they never die. And then it's like at the next movie, they're, well, they're back around. I don't know why. The Moabites are like that. They're never dying. And it says that in the spring, at the time of harvest, they were coming as it was their custom to raid the land. Perhaps your version says, as usual, they returned to raid the land. What it's telling us is that every single time that it was harvest time, they were coming to raid the land. You see, you have to understand something. The devil is not bothered by the word being sown. If you pay attention to the narrative of Scripture, and if you pay attention to every single time that something is being planted, for example, in the parables, there was no problem. The sower was sowing the seed. He sowed in multiple different ground, and then everywhere the seed actually begin to grow. If you pay attention to the other parable of the sower, he planted the seed and then the enemy came at night and began to plant a different type of seed. If you pay attention to the narrative of scripture, the issue does not take place when the word is being sown. The issue does not take place when the word is being planted. Let me tell you something. The devil is not bothered by the fact that you are here and the word is being planted in your life. In fact, he is not threatened by seed that is being planted. The concern comes in the times of the harvest. That's why Jesus stood up and said, the fields are ready, but the workers are few. We're ready to collect, but people can be found. The issue is not in the sowing time. The issue is in harvest time. That's why it's significant that when the leader died, the first thing that is mentioned for the first time in almost a century, the Moabites are back. 
because they thought that the boys had dwindled. And they thought that Elisha's gone. The government's a disaster. But there is a harvest there. We can take it. We can claim it. The revival is just dry bones now. It's just there. So this guy is being carried into the funeral procession. And as they're about to, you know, mourn a death, they look up and they realize that the Moabites are raiding the harvest. And without much care or concern, they just open a grave. They just drop the dead men there. And they're trying to see if they can do something about that harvest. Unbeknownst to them, even though it may have seemed like a pile of dry bones, there was power in those bones because there was a promise that wasn't fulfilled because there was something that God had spoken into existence that was yet to be claimed. There was a deposit of the supernatural waiting for the people of Israel to actually activate and act upon and see life come from a pile of dry bones. And when they thought that they were about to lose their harvest, they saw a miracle and they remember, oh yeah, that's what was spoken over him. It makes me think and it makes me go to Ezekiel chapter 37. And I would like to talk to you about the moment where a lot of people may not be too comfortable going. But the Spirit of the Lord takes the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 37 and moves him to a valley of dry bones. And he asks a question and he says, man of God, what do you see? Well, I just see a valley of dry bones. And what did the Lord say? He said, man of God. Prophesy to these bones. Speak to the bones and say, hear the word of the Lord. You see, it was not hinging on the capacity of Elisha to release that word. It was hinging on the capacity of God to deliver upon the word that he was planted and to fulfill the word that he had released because he knew the potential that was laying upon those dry bones. And Elisha speaks. Sorry, Ezekiel speaks. And the word says that a sound was heard. A rattling. A sound was heard. And bone began to come together with bone, and ligament began to come with ligament, and flesh began to come, and skin, and it covered the bones. And right there you have a valley of corpses. There is still something missing. The situation has changed. They're not just dry bones anymore. The word of the God begin, the word of God begin to work. But the prophecy was still halfway fulfilled. So then the word of the Lord returns to Ezekiel one more time. And if you're familiar with chapter 37, you know that the prophecy was speak to the wind to the four corners of the earth, that breath will fill these bones. And the prophet spoke again, and it was no longer a sound, but wind 
blue through those corpses. And they were filled and they came back to life. And then the Lord said, what do you see? And I just see an ark. And if you go to the very end of Ezekiel chapter 37, it says this is the word of the Lord to the people of Israel. You have been scattered, but I will gather and I will bring you back to your land and you will possess what was promised to you because I am the one who breathes into you. It makes me think of a different situation. Years later, where the people of God were gathered in a room. And in that room also they heard a sound. Do you remember the sound that I'm talking about in Acts 1.8? And after they heard a sound, they felt the wind. And the wind filled the room. And something changed. And about a hundred years ago, give or take, here in California, there was heard a sound, and there was felt a wind, and there was a fire that was deposited, and there was something that started, and there was a promise that was giving, and there was a church that was moving, and there was something taking place. But for some reason, over the last few years, a lot of people look into the church, and they just see a whole bunch of dry bones. I think that happened in, 100 and, in 1906, but it can't happen anymore. And many of us perhaps are sitting here saying, God, I have seen you do so much. I have seen some promises fulfilled. I have experienced your power do so much but I don't think that you can deliver the full thing that I am waiting I don't think that you can do everything that I'm expecting where God is looking back at you saying hey I am not looking at a whole bunch of dry bones I am not looking at unkept promises I'm just looking at people that need to understand that you if you will hear the sound and if you will feel the wind and you will commit to me fully I will deliver on the promise that you think I will not keep and this is a corporate word because when God looks into this church, he's not seeing a pile of dry bones. He has already spoken the word. He has already spoken his purpose. He has already given you a promise, Pastor. And he has already said and declared what he wants to do. But now it's time for not just the pastor to hear the sound and to feel the wind, but for the corporate body to understand that God is up to big things that the promise is not dead, that the movement has not stopped, that he will do and he will deliver upon what he has promised. The problem is that we are distracted during harvest time. The problem is that we are mourning the wrong things. The problem is that we're putting our hope in the wrong places. The problem is that we are invested in the wrong thing. Because it was not about Elijah. It never was. It was not about Elijah. It never was. It was about a promise-keeping God that was in a covenant relationship with his people. And he has spoken and declared his plan. And he has spoken and declared his promise. And he was committed 100% to deliver as long as there was someone ready to believe and willing to move and willing to operate. 
Because if you remember, in the upper room, they were also mourning something. Do you remember when the disciples were behind closed doors because of fear of the Jews and Jesus had to walk in there and say, peace be with you. And again, I say, peace be with you. And he say, receive the Holy Spirit. And something needed to change when he walked into the room and was able to breathe on them one more time. And the sound of his voice was heard and the breath of his spirit was felt and they understood that God was up to big things. So the word that the Lord put in my heart for this house in this morning is, I am not done. I am not finished. Stop looking at a pile of dead bones. That's not what I'm seeing. Even in your own life, some of you have tapped out of God's plan for your life and you're thinking it's too late. For me, it's too late. I can't do it anymore. I don't have the energy. I don't have the time. I don't have the strength. I don't have all these things. And you have been trying to convince God of why he can't no longer use you when God is trying to say, stop speaking that. Begin to speak my purpose and my plan and my desire for your life. Begin to speak my word upon your life. Begin to allow me to determine the outcome of your life because it's not going to be upon your own strength or upon your own might. It's going to be upon my spirit. Because I am the one who called you. And I am the one who promised. And if you remember yesterday, we read Psalm 138. And there was one verse from yesterday that I would like to recall to you today when the psalmist said, and you will keep your word for the honor of your name. And he will keep his word because it's his name his honor and he delights upon you what will you do to respond to the challenge before you because church of living water is moving forward from the season of hear what I'm about to say just planting the word. In many of you, the word has been sown, and the word has been sown richly, and the word has been sown generously, and has been growing for a long time. God is moving this house to harvest time, to the fulfillment of what was promised, to the fulfillment of what was promised. And three or four times already, just standing here inside of this house, I keep seeing the same thing. I keep seeing a desert that is filled with water, and I can see trees blooming, and I can see fruitfulness, and I can see multiple individuals collecting a harvest from the multiple trees. And this is not just a local church. This is a regional church, and God is doing something inside of this body. But it's not just up to a pastor or just up to a leadership team. It's about you sitting on that pew that the word has been sown on you and God is challenging you to go beyond the limitations that you have placed before him and he is saying, I don't see dry bones. I see an army. In you, I see a warrior. In you, I see a conqueror. In you, I see a minister. In you, I see a prophet. So stop being silent. Open your mouth and speak life. Speak life into this valley. 
speak life into your valley. Because Ezekiel 37, the promise and the reason why God turned those dry bones into that army is so they will walk into the land that he had promised and they will inhabit the land that was promised. So at the very end of 37, it's time for you to walk into your promise and own what was given to you. This is a Caleb-type moment. Some of you are closer to 80 than you are to 20. And you may be saying, well, but the clock is running out. If Caleb was cool as a cucumber when he came at age 80 before Joshua and say, hey, there is something that was promised to me and I still want it. I can still hold my sword, I can still hold my own, and I am going to go fight. Just give me a few young people, and I am going to go take that mountain from those giants. I don't care who says that I can, I can, and I will. Very respectfully, you need to get your swagger back on. (laughs) You need to allow for the word of the Lord to bear the fruit that it can bear. Because you have been, I love you, Pastor Anthony. You have been too comfortable for far too long, and your pastor loves you too much to sometimes kick you in the head when you should be kicked and say, go do what you're supposed to do. I love you, but I'm getting on a plane this afternoon so I can kick you and say, hey, please, the word has been sown. But the promise is still waiting. The promise is still alive. The deposit is already planted. But the Moabites are already here trying to steal what is yours. Are you going to be mourning what you thought was dead? Or are you just going to let the dead bury the dead and are you going to do what you're supposed to do? Do you understand? Do you receive the word of the Lord? Because God is going to keep his end of the bargain. Are you going to keep yours? And I will ask you to stand with me for a few more minutes. What will you do? Because what you need to understand is that this is not just a promise for the pastor or for Pastor Laura or for a select few. This is your promise. This is your inheritance. This is what God is asking of you. Because the word has been planted in you. Will you still hold back? morning 
what could have been. With the fear that the king had of a season that was going to change. Or are you willing to embrace the fact that the season has changed and that it's not longer pending just upon Elijah, but that God is looking at you and that he's asking something of you and that the field is ready, but the workers are far too few. What will you do?